All right, open in your Bibles tonight to the book of Psalms, chapter number 86. Psalms, chapter number 86. And I just want to focus on one verse tonight and give you a few quick thoughts. Psalms, chapter number 86. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Number, verse number 7 is our text verse for tonight. Uh, but we'll begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications." Notice verse 7, In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Let's read that once more before we pray. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this evening and this time that you've granted us. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the way that you met with us in the service this morning. Just ask that you'd have your will and your way in everything that takes place tonight. Lord, we're praying for encouragement tonight for those that are in need of it. Father, we're praying for abasement tonight, Lord, and those that are in need of it, conviction for those that need it, and Father, strength for those that need it. Lord, you know what each heart's need is. We'd ask that you'd meet it in a way that would glorify you. Give me power and unction to preach your word. And Father, may the words that I speak be your words, Lord, and may they have an effect in the hearts and ears of those that hear it. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Boy, the book of Psalms is full of uh, uh, brilliant truths that we can apply to our daily life. And, uh, you know, I believe in a lot of ways, if you read the entire book of Psalms, it's the largest book in the Word of God, that in many ways you have a uh, cross-section of the various tones in the Word of God. And you say, well, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, you're going to find prophetic scriptures in the book of Psalms. Uh, you're going to find some scriptures, though they not, may not necessarily be historical narratives, you'll find historical narrative in the book of Psalms as it relates to the history of the children of Israel. Uh, you'll find uh, verses about discouragement. You'll find verses about victory. Uh, you'll find verses about the devil. You'll find verses about Christ. And all through the book of Psalms, you have a vast array of various truths and thoughts. But in many ways, I believe that this little verse that we've read tonight, Psalms 86, 7, uh, gives us, in a summary, the truth of the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, if I could give it a theme, would be thus, the personal relationship with God. Can I say that again? The personal relationship with God. You find the book of Psalms to be a deeply personal book. In fact, uh, the very word Psalms, uh, when we use that word, we're talking about songs that were written for the express purpose of worship. And many of these Psalms may have been used publicly, but they poured out of the heart of the psalmist and his personal relationship with an almighty God. Tonight I want us to look at just three simple truths, and let's dissect this verse. I think most people, if you study your Bible, you'll get in the habit of dissecting a verse according to its phrases or thoughts, and I believe we can dissect this pretty easy. Do it with me. We have first off a problem that is given, in the day of my trouble. Then I want you to notice, secondly, that we have a prayer 
that is referenced. It says, I will call upon thee. And then finally we have a promise. Boy, I like this. A promise given to the believer, for thou wilt answer me. Now let's take those three thoughts and let's look at them for a moment tonight. First off, consider the problem that is presented. Uh, David, we assume, is writing here. That's what the subscript says concerning this. Uh, when David is writing this, he uses the terminology, the day of my trouble. Now, that's pretty vague terminology, isn't it? I mean, uh, David is not necessarily referencing a particular day. Now, I'm sure David had in his mind a particular calamity or a particular event that's taking place. Uh, But here, as the Holy Spirit of God moved upon him to write this, it's interesting that the Spirit of God, and uh, maybe this is a little bit of imagination, but I can kind of imagine the Holy Spirit saying, well, David, don't write exactly what your trouble is. Just write the day of my trouble. There's a sweetness that is intrinsic to the generalities of the Word of God. Because it teaches me that though this book uh, may have been written portions of it thousands of years ago, uh, though there's many different authors, it tells me that it's the same God that inspired the same book that I hold in my hands today. It teaches me that it is relevant to my everyday life. You know, if David had maybe said a particular time, if he had said maybe the day of my trouble with Absalom, I couldn't really relate to that. Or maybe if he had said the the day of my trouble with Saul, I I would have had trouble relating to that. Maybe if he had said the day of my trouble with Bathsheba, even that would be difficult to relate to our personal experience. But none of those things are distinguished in this verse. It simply says the day of my trouble. It's a general terminology that's used. And I believe because it's because it's something that can relate to our lives personally. Let me just ask you a basic question. Not, you ever have any days of trouble? Sure you do. I do. You do. We all have days that we would call days of my trouble. And I would say that first off, we see that this is a prevalent event in the human experience. I mean, if you live long enough, and, and long enough is, you know, usually over maybe three days, you're going to have some days of trouble. I think about that new uh, little one that I've got at home. I told him on Wednesday night, you might as well get used to it. I'm, everything's going to have to do with LB for a little while. Uh, but, you know, I, I think about little LB. He's already had days of trouble. Already. And you think, what do you got to worry about when you're just a newborn? Well, sleeping and, and dirty diapers and playing and uh, all sorts of things. I'll tell you the biggest thing that plagues newborns is burps. I don't have no trouble with them myself, but him, he struggles with them, you know. Uh, but the other night, we had a, a, maybe not a day of trouble, but a night of trouble, and he did fine. He was a little fussy, but, uh, you know, even as a newborn child, he's experiencing times of discomfort and displeasure. And certainly, as we grow older in life, uh, we can look back and say, I have had many days of trouble in my life. You ever lost someone that you love? That was a day of trouble. You ever fallen into a financial pitfall? And listen, I'm not a wealth and health and prosperity preacher. I'm too fat and poor to preach health and wealth and prosperity. But, uh, but there's no question that financial woes trouble us. And maybe you've had some times when you had more month uh, than you did uh, money at the end of the day and more bills than you could really make. And that was a day of trouble for you. Maybe you've had marital discord in your life. And it was difficult, and it's frustrating, and it's discouraging, and you want it to work, but it won't work. And You're trying to fight and trying to move forward. Those are days of trouble, and there will be many of them. I, I could say to the young people tonight, uh, get ready, there's going to be days of trouble in your life. 
Uh, I, it's a good thing. You know, we all kind of wish we had a crystal ball, don't we, and want to know the future. But really, to be perfectly honest, if we knew everything that was going to happen from this day in our life till the day that the Lord takes us home or He comes back for His church, it would terrify us to the point we wouldn't crawl out of bed in the morning. We're going to face things in life that are insurmountable to our understanding and to our courage. David said, in the day of my trouble, and I believe David had many days, we could go through his life and catalog time after time. I mean, David was a man that had seen some things. David was a man that had experienced some things. In fact, you know what he said? He said, I have been young and now I am old. You know what he's saying when he says that? He's saying, I've seen a lot of things. That's what David is saying. He's saying, I've seen nations arise and I've seen nations fall. I've seen the glory of God with Israel and I, I've seen Israel uh, defeated in the day of battle because of their sin. I've seen all sorts of things, David said. He had had a lot of days of trouble. It's a, it's a prevalent event. You're going to experience days of trouble. Let me give you another thought. <laughs> and I promise I'm not going to discourage you the whole service, but let me say that it is a perpetual event. You know, as long as you live in this life, there's going to be days of trouble. You've not had your last. You may say, well, you know, preacher, it's smooth sailing now. I'm retired. It's smooth sailing. Well, maybe you are, but that don't mean that it's smooth sailing. Or maybe now, you know, I've got my little family now, and it might be easy for me to look at it and say, well, you know, LB's with us now, and we we got a little family, and smooth sailing. I know enough parents that'll tell you opposite of that. Or maybe you're a young one and you're waiting to get into high school or out of high school or into college or out of college and you say, hey, it's smooth sailing. Don't fool yourself. You're going to have days of difficulty. There's no question. I mean, as long as we live in this day. You know what Job said? And this has always fascinated me. In Job 14.1, Job wrote, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Full of trouble. I kind of think the Lord lets it stay uncomfortable down here so we don't get too comfortable down here, don't you? I mean, it just makes heaven sweeter. And I think sometimes that's why as a person gets older in life, heaven gets more and more real is because they, they see the difficulty of this life and they see the trials of this life. I mean, every once in a while, and I'm not, I'm not by any means uh, purporting to be older or have any wisdom or a hoary head about myself, but I, I look at my wife sometimes and I'll say, you know, heaven's real. It's real. And she'll say, what are you on? Of course it's real. <laughs> but, but what I mean is that, I mean, it's real. It's not just something we talk about. Heaven's real. I mean, Christ is real. God is real. And you may be saying, well, of course He is, preacher. But stop and soak it in for just a moment. This place of eternal bliss that we speak of, it's a real place. Uh, the city of God, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven that will rest upon this earth, upon which we'll spend eternity. That's a real thing. It's a real thing. And this life that we live in, if nothing else, it ought to, through the trouble that we experience, cause us to long more for that day when we're face to face with our Savior. Uh, you may have had a tough day yesterday. That don't mean you won't have one tomorrow. It's a persistent thing and a perpetual thing. I like this, though, and I, and I believe this is true, and I believe you'll echo this in your experience. Uh, the day of trouble is a passing event. A passing event. Aren't you thankful that not all days are bad days? I know that's simple, but it's only simple if you're having a good day. If you're having a bad day, that means something to you. Not, not all days are bad days. The beautiful thing about this idea of a day of trouble, and I, I, I've thought about this all day, the idea of a day of trouble. First off, everybody has days. Everybody does. It's a universal experience. And if everybody has days, then everybody's going to have a day of trouble. 
And not only that, but if we all have days, we're going to have another day tomorrow. Now, we know that no man is promised tomorrow, uh, but if this life continues uninterrupted uh, by either the return of the Lord or our uh, parting unto Him, then we're going to have another day tomorrow. It's, it's, it's perpetual. It's persistent. We're going to continue to have them. And so, therefore, we're going to continue to have days of trouble. Uh, but by the same token, these days are passing days. I mean, the, the life that we're living, we, it's interesting that God deals in days, isn't it? And you'll find that to be true through the Word of God. You don't find months spoken of very often, especially not in a symbolic sense. Uh, you'll occasionally find years spoken of uh, concerning a symbolic sense. But for the most part, you find that God seems to operate in days. When He created this earth, He could have created it in seven minutes, seven seconds, seven years, or seven decades. But He created it in seven days. This is the symbolism, and this is the idea, and this is the picture that God paints for us, that our lives are made up with an ensemble of days. It's a day thing, day in and day out. We don't talk about yestermonth or tomorrow month. We talk about yesterday and tomorrow and today. Uh, it seems as though our human experience is lived out in days. When we talk about how things are partitioned, uh, when you, most people don't come to the end of a month and say, whew, boy, it's good to be to the end of this month. How often have you come to the end of your day and laid in bed and said, boy, I'm glad this day is over. It's the means through which we reckon things and, and experience time and understanding and existence. And, and the psalmist teaches us that these things are passing day by day. The Lord does not return if we don't go to Him. No matter how bad today has been, there will be a tomorrow. There will be a tomorrow unless it's interrupted. There will be. It is a passing. It doesn't matter how bad things are on you right now. It will get better. It will get better. I know that seems bleak sometimes, and I know that seems like a, a, a disillusioned hope, but you'll find if you look back over your life, you may be going through a dark, dark, dark time, darker than anyone around you could understand. But rest assured, God's going to give you another day tomorrow. Another day tomorrow. We see this problem presented, Brother Ralph, this day of trouble. But what is the answer? What is our recourse and resource? I, I want to say that, secondly, the psalmist speaks of a prayer. He says, I will call... Upon thee, I will call upon thee. Let me say that prayer should be our, should not just be our best resource, but our first recourse. It shouldn't just be the best thing we do. It ought to be the first thing we do. Uh, you hear people say this sometimes. We've commented on a lot around here, but you'll see. I saw it on church sign not too long ago. It said, "When nothing else works, pray." Well, that's dumb. So, you know, some churches ought to have their signs took away. You know it. <laughs> Put a Bible verse up there or something. Don't risk it, you know. And uh, But they put up there, when, when, when nothing else works, pray. Well, that's silly. Don't wait till nothing else works. First pray. First pray. You'll find you won't have to work nothing else. First pray. We, I want to give you three thoughts about this. First off, we see that this prayer was a prayer of personal responsibility. It begins with these two words, I will. Prayer is an action. This is something that I believe is getting twisted in ideology today. And I believe it's due, and, and I'm not beating up on Facebook or social media, but I do believe that many ways, in many ways it's due to the prevalence, uh, uh, the prevalent nature of communication today. Uh, we have never been able to communicate so much and yet communicated so little as we do today. 
I, I mean, I, I, I can pull out my phone and I've got 16 ways to get a hold of most of you. I mean, I can get a hold of you on, on uh, Facebook or email or call you or text you or uh, a thousand different ways that I can get a hold of you. And, uh, and I don't call very many of you, <laughs> you know, and you don't call me either. Uh, you know, we've got all these means to communicate and yet we don't. And I think because of the prevalence of communication, Brother Ralph, we have watered down some terminology and some ideals. Now listen carefully to what I'm saying. I know this isn't a snap, crackling, pop preaching, but you listen carefully to what I'm saying. It'll mean something. We have taken deep and important truths and gestures, and we have watered them down to being passing remarks. I see it all the time. People will say, I love you, love you, love you, love you. And you'll see it. Two people barely know each other. Uh, say it on Facebook or through email or something. Say, love you. You remember when that meant something, say, I love you. It meant something to say, I love you to someone. I'm not saying people don't love each other. I'm just merely saying that we have watered that down. We have done much the same thing with prayers. And I will see this very often. Listen, if you're guilty of it, I'm not preaching at you. I'm just preaching. But you'll see, see people, they'll say sometimes, sending prayers your way. Don't send prayers my way. Send prayers his way for me. Or, you know, wishing you prayers. You don't have to wish prayers. Pray prayers. Don't, just, don't pray prayers, just pray. Pray and talk to God. And you know why often we do that? We do that because we have taken prayer and twisted it to mean a well-wishing idea. Just something that we're saying just to send condolences and uh, thoughts with someone. And we have twisted prayer into something unnatural. When if you study the Word of God, you find prayer, number one, to always be an action. Prayer is not something that just happens. Prayer is something you do. You pray. It's something that is conscious. It's not something you do unconsciously or subconsciously. You pray consciously. And you might say, well, you know, preacher, I don't know when the last time I prayed was. Well, then you need to pray. You're not going to do it on accident. You're not going to do it by default. Uh, prayer is something you must consciously do. And I know, I know the Bible says uh, that we're to be in an attitude of prayer. That does not mean that we are to try to subconsciously pray. What it means is that we are to be daily conversing with Almighty God. That's what that means. It means that we are not simply to relegate prayer to a pre-specified time. Now, if you've got a time that you sit down, get alone, and focus and pray, God bless you. That's wonderful. It'll help you. But what it's saying with an attitude of prayer is is that day in and day out we're, we're in conversation with Almighty God. It's not saying that our attitude is one of wishing people prayers. It's saying that we are actively praying day in and day out, speaking with God just as He's there because He is there. Something you do. If you're having difficulty, pray. Don't wish you pray. Don't ask for prayer. Now, you can ask for Him, but don't... Listen, don't ask anybody to pray for something you won't pray for. That ought to be real basic, but I tell you, I've been guilty of it before, asking people to pray for something that I wasn't even praying for. Isn't that sorry? But I've done it before, and you probably have too. Uh, no, don't, don't just depend on others to pray. Now, of course, go to others for prayer and encourage them to pray for you, but you pray for it. It's personal responsibility. David didn't say, in the day of my trouble, I'm going to go to everybody around me and ask them to pray. Now, no doubt he would have used those around him to pray. But David said, in the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee. It's a statement of personal responsibility. But I want you to notice not only that, it's a statement of personal requisition. He says, I will call. Call. Boy, there's that terminology again of communication. Call. Call someone. And uh, it seems like now we do everything we can to avoid calling people. <laughs> now it is now. Uh, maybe you don't, but, you know, when you've got technology at your fingers and you can text people and send them a little stuff, sometimes it, it keeps us from calling someone and having an open line of communication with them. And that's really what David is talking about here. 
He's saying, when I am in trouble, I'm going to talk to God about it. I'm going to go to Him and I'm going to ask for His assistance and intervention in my situation. Now, I don't know what you're going through. You may not be going through anything. Or you may be going through something nobody would even dream about. But whatever your day of trouble that you're experiencing is, let me say that the first thing you ought to do is take action and pray. And when you pray, pray specifically to God about it. Pray specifically. There's no sense in standing on, on uh, procedure and standing on presentation around God. I mean, I'm all, you know, I don't have an issue with, I hear a lot of people, they'll pray and they'll pray with the these and the thous and the thys and the those and the, and I don't have a problem with that. If that's what you want to do, if that's natural for you, by all means, go ahead and do that. That doesn't offend me one bit. Uh, but I'll just say this. I don't think God's upset if I talk to him like I talk to my own daddy, as long as I'm respectful. I don't think God's offended if I talk to him in the way that I would talk to uh, someone. If, if I was going to talk to Brother Ron, he's sitting here and I'm talking to him back. And I don't think that offends God. As long as I'm not irreverent in what I'm saying, I don't believe that upsets God. I think when we have trouble, we ought to go to God and speak to him about the problem. About the problem. Now, I'll agree that there's a lot of people that before they can ever really connect with the throne room of God, they're going to have to get some sin confessed and out of their life and so on and so forth. I understand that. But once you're on praying ground with God, don't beat around the bush. Tell Him what it is you're there about. Tell Him what it is you're there about. I've got a bad habit. Can I tell you, I've got a bad habit. I'll call people, and I'll have a 30-minute conversation with them and never even mention what I called them about. Ever have that happen? I did that to mom earlier today. I called her and I was talking to her on the phone. And we talked about the baby and we talked about Christmas. And we talked about a thousand things. And then she said, well, I'm going to get off her. I said, well, now, wait a minute. I called you for some reason. <laughs> don't do that with God. Or at least if you do it with God, don't do it on purpose. God wants us to pray specifically. Let me tell you what praying in generality does. It waters down our prayer life. Let me tell you what praying in specifics does. It strengthens our prayer life. Do you know why? Because you begin to see God hear and answer specific prayers in your life. Let me tell you something. You are never going to have a prayer life until you start praying specifically and then looking for God to answer and then praising Him when He does. You will not have a strong prayer life until you start doing that. Some people use prayer journals. I have uh, for a while, and then I've got times when I don't. I recommend it, if you can, uh, to keep a prayer journal. I think that's a good thing. But listen, whether you have a prayer journal, whether you pray at 10.15 every morning or 6.15 every night or whenever you pray, or if it's different, sometimes it's in the morning, sometimes it's at night. If you pray on the way to work or if you pray on the way home, you pray in the bathtub, you pray on the toilet, it don't matter to me. But pray specifically. Pray specifically. Ask God for things and then look for Him to answer them. You say, Preacher, what do I do if He doesn't answer? Well, keep praying. Keep praying. And if He quiets your soul that that prayer, that desire is not within His will, then be satisfied with that. But you'll find oftentimes there's things. What did James say? We have not because we ask not. How much more practical can you get? And yet we still struggle with our prayer life. Let me say that it's a prayer of a personal responsibility and a prayer of personal requisition. But let me say it is a prayer of personal relationship. I will call upon your secretary. I will call upon one of the angels. I will call upon a priest who's going to burn some candles and incense and go, No, I will call upon thee. Thee. You have an audience with God. Use it. You have an audience at the throne room of God. Use it. It's a blessed thing. 
The Bible, uh, time and time again in the book of Hebrews, in fact, I was looking, Brother Ralph, I think it's five times in the book of Hebrews that the word bold or boldly or boldness is used. And there's a reason for that, because the book of Hebrews presents to us the sacrifice and the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And so coupled with that is admonition after admonition for believers to be bold in their access to the throne room of grace. You know why that is? Because we have a personal relationship. Listen, when you pray, you're not talking to somebody that don't know you. You're not talking to somebody that has no clue who you are. If you've, if you've been saved by God's grace, when you talk to God, you're talking to Daddy. That's who you're talking to. Abba is the word that the Word of God uses. And you know what that is? That's a term of affection. That's what that is. It's like, it's like saying daddy or papa or father. It's, it's, it's a means of affection. God says, listen, when you pray to me, I, I don't want any of this old, holy and high, benevolent father of heaven. He said, I just want you to call me daddy and ask me for the things you need in your life. We find a term of affection that is used concerning prayer. And it's vital that we understand that the relationship we have with God through prayer is one of personal relationship. I want to give you a final thought and I'm going to hush. We see the promise spoken of. Okay, we know we know what the human experience will yield to us, a problem always. And we understand uh, what the recourse and resource that we have in response to that, what our response is to be, and that is prayer. But what is God's response to our prayer? We find he responds with a promise. For thou wilt answer me. That's God's promise to you and I. Now, I understand. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it tonight. We've all, I'm sure, heard the analogies given before uh, that sometimes God answers with a yes or a no or a wait. And uh, there's probably some debate about some truths like that. But God ain't always going to give you what you want, but he will always give you what you need. And if you will pray, God will answer you. He will answer you. He will give you some truth, some notion, some idea. You may say, well, preacher, I want what I want. Well, that's your problem. If you start wanting what God wants, you'll find a peace in your prayer life. And He's going to give you an answer of something. He will quiet your soul if He needs to. If your soul needs to be quieted, He'll quiet it. If you're longing for something and it's not the will of God, God will show you that it's not His will. I think sometimes we're scared to preach on this topic of the will of God because we're afraid people ain't going to get it. Let me tell you something. You don't have to be a preacher or a missionary or an evangelist or anything else. You just got to be blood washed, born again, right with the Lord to find the will of God. That's it. And you don't need anyone to dictate it to you. You can find the will of God for your life. And God's more than capable to speak to you concerning your will. Hey, it may not come the first time you pray. It may not come the first hundred times you pray. But when it's time for you to know the will of God about a matter, God will make it known to you. He will answer. I want to give you three things about this, and I'm going to hush. I've said that four times. <laughs> we see that this is a promise. Notice, notice these three thoughts. It is a promise, first off, of particular expression. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, it's a promise God has given. This isn't, we're not reading between the lines. We're not trying to infer things. This is something God has said. And in fact, it, it interests me, time would fail us to read all the times that God says, if you call, I'll answer. But this one uh, interested me in a particular way. In Psalms fifty fifteen, it says, And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. I mean, that same terminology used, the day of trouble is used. And God speaks in Psalms 50 and says, if you'll call upon me in that day, I'm going to answer you. It's not just David saying the Lord will answer me. God says, I will answer you. And all through Scripture, we have promise after promise after promise concerning God's faithfulness to hear and answer His people. Let me tell you something. 
Again, I'm not a health and wealth. I'm not a name it and claim it preacher. But God's named some things that we do need to claim. I, I don't mean we need to name it and then, and then claim. I mean, God's named some things. And that's scriptural. The Bible speaks of the exceeding great and precious promises of God. And you know what the Bible says? Whereof ye are made partakers of the divine nature. It's through those promises that we become more Christ-like. As we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, believe the promises of God, see Him work, and then what do we do? Just like Psalms 50:15 said, we glorify Him. It is a continuous and fluid relationship between the believer and God. One of trouble and supplication and faithful deliverance and glorification and trouble and supplication and faithful deliverance and glorification. And over and over again, God working in the lives of His children and them seeing Him work and them giving Him glory. I mean, God has promised that it would be thus. And if we don't believe and trust those promises, now I'm not talking about believing some promise that some forked tongue TV preacher made. I'm talking about believing what the Word of God says. We can put, listen, if that book says it, you don't even have to take it to the bank. It's already got the note on it. Amen. I, you, you, don't, you don't have to take it. Down. It's validated by the Holy Ghost. And it's true. We find that this is a promise of particular expression. But let me say that it is a promise of public example. I'm always interested. There's a verse in the book of Psalms. I didn't intend on referencing it, and the, the reference escapes me right now. But David is speaking, and he says, twice, Once hath it been said, yea, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto the Lord. And that verse has always interested me. Uh, the language and the phrasing in it. Once hath it been said, yea, twice have I heard this. Do you know why it is David said it that way? He says, once have I heard this. He's speaking of the Word of God. Once, Brother Ralph, I've heard this from the Word of God. God has declared that power belongs unto the Lord. Once have I heard this, yea, twice hath it been said. You know what the second time is? That's when it's been borne out in human understanding, human experience. David says, God has said he has the power, but then I've seen that he has the power. This is true concerning the faithfulness of God in a general sense. You want to say, what is the greatest miracle in the Word of God? This is old fundamental preachers, you say this all the time, and it's still true today. If I was to ask you, what is the greatest miracle in the Word of God? We hear lots of things. Some people say, well, I believe Jonah and the whale was the greatest miracle in the Word of God. Others would say, surely it would be the raising of Lazarus. Others would say, surely, or surely it was the raising of Jairus' daughter. Others would say, uh, surely it was the cross of Calvary. Surely it was this, surely it was that. And all kinds of, you know what I believe the greatest miracle is? The greatest miracle in the entire Word of God is three little letters, J-E-W. The Jews, the Jews. Now you say, what do you mean, preacher? Never before has there been a group of people that have existed and been preserved in such a way as God's chosen people, Israel. Try to find another example of a nation that was disbanded and dispersed for 2,000 years almost. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, out of the furnace of the Holocaust comes together to establish a nation once again. Everywhere they went, you can study through history. I mean, listen, brother. if you used to ask me, say, what are you, preacher? I'd say, I'm hillbilly. That's what I am. I mean, I'd say, well, I'm American. 
you say, no, 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 what are you really? I'd say, well, I'm Appalachian American. If you say, no, 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 really, well, I'd say, well, I, you know, on my daddy's side, I'm mostly German, and I'm, uh, you know, then I've also got some Welsh and Scottish and Irish, just like anybody else is. When I needed a Pale Grant, I was a 16th Cherokee. And, uh, you know, I, I, that's what I would say, but I don't really reference that. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just American. Not so with God's chosen people, the Jews. When they were in Poland, they were Polish Jews. When they were in Czechoslovakia, they were Czech Jews. When they were in Italy, they were Italian Jews. And all over the world, they have retained their national identity. And then in a moment, they come together and form a nation again. Uh, The entire United Arab nations uh, tried to destroy them. In six days, they fought them back and took more land than they had originally had. Uh, Fighting with uh, guns with bent sights and not enough guns for him. They'd have to take a shot and pass it down, let another person and take a shot and let another person. Homemade guns, the women in the ditches fighting with them. I mean, it's a miracle that the Jews have survived. It's because God has been on their side. He's been faithful. That's why God promised that the Jews would not be destroyed from the earth. God hath not cast off Israel. And let me tell you something, they never will destroy them. They never will. They can try. They can do what they may. I mean, they, they, could, they could put all of the nations of the world together against this little nation, and one day they will. And it still won't destroy the Jews. They will always exist. They will always exist. God has His hand upon them. Now you say, preacher, what do you say all that for? I say all that to show you that God is faithful. God is faithful. You can look throughout human history and see the faithfulness of God. This is a promise of public example. But let me say this, and I'm done. This is a promise of personal experience. David could have said this in a very impersonal way. He could have said, the Lord will answer you. He could have said, the Lord will answer. But instead, listen to the language that David used. For thou wilt answer me. It's personal. David says, I've seen God do this. I know he'll do it again. And if we could just wrap our mind around it. Listen, I know we all get discouraged. I was thinking about that. It always bugs me. You ever hear a song and some of the lyrics bug you? We're singing that, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. That's a beautiful song. I love that song. But I always get a little, I always kind of smile a little bit, get a little bit put out when it says, We should never be discouraged. Yeah, I know that's true. I don't know about the writer of that song, but this preacher does sometimes. He ain't never read about Elijah. He ain't got no juniper trees growing in his backyard who ever wrote that song. I know we shouldn't. Sometimes we do. And it's easy to get discouraged. And it's easy to get frustrated as we try to live for Christ. Why don't you listen carefully for me? When that happens, you sit back and you take inventory of the goodness of God in your life. Me and my wife have been talking about it a lot lately. Having a baby makes you think about that. And we'd sit, we'd just sit there and just, just weep and cry and talk about the goodness of God in our life. I mean, how God has watched over us and provided for us. Done all that He's done for us. Provided for us financially. And provided for us as a family. And provided for us a church family and, and a good family. And, and all the various things that God's done and enabled us. Listen, accounted me faithful to put me in the ministry. And blessed us with the wife being home with the baby. All the things that God has done. All this and salvation too. And I go over in my mind the goodness of God. And let me tell you something. It don't take too long to get out from under that juniper tree. The fact of the matter is, you're going to have days of trouble. 
Your day of trouble will not be like my day of trouble. But no matter the day of trouble, we have a big God that's ready and willing to hear and answer. But you're going to have to take it to Him. You have to pray. I'm the first one to admit to you that I can't fix a single one of your problems. In fact, you come to me, I'll probably make them worse. But man, I know a Savior. I know a Savior that's ready to hear and answer your prayers. I know a throne room with an open door to all believers. And I know a Spirit of God that helpeth our infirmities when we know not what we ought to pray. All we need is to utilize it. That's all. Whatever you're going through, maybe you're not going through anything. I always try to be careful whenever we start for an altar call because I don't want people to feel like anything's implied if they go to an altar. only thing that's implied if you go to an altar is that you need to talk to God about something. That's the only thing that's implied. Uh, I'd rather see someone go to an altar and get saved than stay in their seat and go to hell, wouldn't you? I'd rather, listen, I'd rather go down to an altar and be right with God and people think something funny about me, then I would stay in my seat and be wrong with God and everybody have a good opinion about me. So, you know, I, I, I want to be clear. It may not be even, th- if you may not be going through anything. But you may have friends that are, family that are, children that are, grandchildren, parents, grandparents, whatever it may be. Or you may be struggling through something in your life. Can I, can I invite you to this altar? I'm not going to drag you. But can I invite you to come and talk to an almighty God and ask for His intervention? and for His providence in this matter, whatever it is.